open up to the book of Ephesians. We'll actually come back to that Revelation passage uh, as we dive into the Lord's Supper. But um, starting today and for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at a few select passages from Ephesians as we prepare for uh, the things that are going to be starting up in September. We're going to be looking at a few things on uh, biblical community and what that looks like. And so if you want to look in the Pew Bible, it's around 827. Um, and let me just read this for us just so we can have these verses in our mind, and then we'll, uh, I'll talk about a little bit of the background just so we can be on the same page here. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. It says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promises, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far off, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility." And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to, to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on a foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So as we um, consider this idea of community, as we consider some of what Paul writes here in the book of Ephesians, I want us just to get a, a little glimpse of what life might have been like in Ephesus. Ephesus um, was a town in what, in what we call Turkey today. It's on the, on, near the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. It was a town of about 250,000 people, and it was a very diverse town. There was a large Jewish population there, but there was also a, a great deal of Lydians, Ionians, Greeks, and even some indigenous people who made up a part of this society. And as I was thinking about it, I was thinking, you know, Poolsville and the surrounding towns were a lot smaller than Ephesus was. Uh, you know, about 6,000 people right here in town. But then when you look at Martinsburg and Sugarland and Bellsville and Boyd's you get, uh, and Dickerson, you get a little bit of a bigger feel. But I think a little, some of what they experienced there in Ephesus is not unlike something we experience here. There are people who've been, whose families have been in and around Poolsville for generations. I'm talking 150 or 200 years, even before Poolsville was a town. Some time ago, I was talking with Glenn Norris about it, about the fact that his family used to farm the land that I now live on. 
those of us who live in Westerly, that's old Norris Farm, right? And, and uh, in fact, there's a house that was his grandmother's house right near the high school. There's a Norris Street named for the Norris family. And they used to have an oil business on that street. They used to, I understand there was actually a, a burner, an oil burner fire in the old church building here years ago. Not this one, the one that Tom and Robin now have. But there are people like Glenn and his family that have been here forever. At least it seems like it. And then there are those of us who've been here for decades. I remember hearing about a picture that, that took place in front of the old town hall where the entire population of the town could be fit into one shot, right? Some of you guys were in that picture. And, and just a beautiful picture of what this little tiny town was like. And so for, for you, Poolsville feels something like something different than it does for some of the other folks there are also, unfortunately, people who trace their roots here, not because they chose to be here, but because they came as slaves. And yet they've stuck around because this is now their new home. And then there are many newer families from a whole variety of socioeconomic backgrounds and ethnicities who've chosen to live in Poolsville because of all that Poolsville has to offer. The small town, the community feel, the family values, good schools. So Ephesus, like Poolsville, was diverse. But Ephesus was also a big, bustling town. It had a huge commerce. It was close to the port, and they had many opportunities and many influences. But also, Ephesus was known for one of the seven wonders of the world, and that was the temple to the goddess Artemis, or the goddess Diana. She was known as the goddess of fertility and magic and astrology. And so because of that, there were all sorts of religious activities which people would engage in in their worship of this false deity. Much of it was superstitious. Much of it was filled with speculation. Oh, if I only do this, maybe the goddess would appease. Maybe if I appease the goddess enough, she will bless me with whatever it is I need. And then around the first century, enters in this thing called the church. You have these diverse backgrounds. You have Jews and Gentiles. You have people worshiping other deities. You have all these things, and then this church is born. And while the original Christians were Jewish background believers, this church in Ephesus also included Gentiles or non-Jews. And it seemed like this new church may have been mostly Gentiles. And Paul notes that in the, in the old way of things, these Gentiles were formerly outsiders. They couldn't participate in all of the things that their Jewish brothers and sisters could have done. They were alienated from communion and fellowship. And yet they were also hopeless. There was a general understanding in the Jewish religious thought that, and this is something that Paul thought as well, that Gentiles were unsaved and without God and they had no hope of being saved. And whatever resurrection or religious hope might have existed, the Gentiles did not get to participate in that. And yet now in the church, as Paul said, those who were once far off have been brought near. 
And so in, in this passage that, that I read, Paul does something very interesting. In fact, if, we, if you look in your Bibles, in chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, is a very famous passage. And what Paul does in there, in these two passages together, 1 through 10 and 11 to 22, is he contrasts two former things with two present things. Look at what it says. In, let me just read for us briefly verses 1 to 10. And, and think about this from an individual standpoint. Before salvation, before Christ, here's the picture that Paul, Paul paints for us. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our bodies, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. There was a bleak and gloomy picture that Paul paints here of all of us. And then he says these two beautiful words, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So now there's this beautiful picture that we were once far from Christ and now because of God's love, we get to be saved. We get to be in Christ. We get to be with him. And then Paul extrapolates that. He says this beforehand now, and then he does it in another way by, by helping us understand now, not only beforehand were we alienated, and most of us, I think, are, are from Gentile backgrounds or non-Jewish backgrounds, we were alienated. And so he note, Paul notes the second thing that Christ does, and that is not only uniting us with Christ, but uniting us with one another. And as Paul does that, he paints six pictures. He, 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 he um, uses six different metaphors that I want us to look at. So if you'll notice, there, normally we would have an outline, but we don't. I'm going to hopefully give these clear enough so if you want to take notes, you can. But with each of these metaphors that Paul uses, uh, my hope is that we can glean from that some sort of application. Eye. What is something we should do in light of this? So Paul begins by, by noting in verse 15, he says that we have become one Humanity. Remember, in the past, it was Jew and Gentile. There was two, and there was a dividing wall. In fact, in the temple and many of the synagogues, the, the Gentiles could not go to where the Jews would go. There was a clear division. If you've ever been to, uh, if you've ever been to Germany, you know that back in the... In, during much of the Cold War, after World War II, East and West Germany was divided, and there was a great deal of freedom in West Germany, and there was a dividing wall, a dividing line between the West and the East. And that was culturally what was existent there in Ephesus. This division was deep. And so Paul writes that because of what Christ has done, he has torn down the, the, the dividing wall by abolishing, look in verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed 
in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man or one new humanity in place of the two. I love celebrating and appreciating our cultural and ethnic distinctives. I love it when we get together and when I get to learn about the, the, the idiosyncrasies of where people are from in, in different parts of the world. I love getting to learn that. And what, but yet what Paul is saying is that so often the things that we might see as divisive are now things that we get to lay down because we're united in Christ. As, George, as uh, Jennifer read earlier, Galatians 3, 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We might even say there's not northerner, there's not southerner, there's not Poolsville native, slave descendant, immigrant, or, tr or transplant. We are all one in Christ. And so as an application, we might think about it this way, that as one new humanity, we get to celebrate what unites us rather than delineating what divides us. Secondly, Paul paints the picture of one body. We see this in verses 16 and 17 when he writes that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. But, but think about it like this. What makes up a body, a physical body? It's a collection of these interdependent parts. Our bodies are so intertwined that if one piece didn't work properly, the entire body wouldn't work the way it was intended. If your brain stops working in the way it was supposed to, other things get out of whack. That's something that Ashley, is, Ashley Funk is dealing with, that, that Vern prayed for. Her injuries have, have made it difficult for her body to work because of her brain injuries. But what about in our stomach, in our GI system? When we eat foods, our, 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 in, our intestinal system needs to extract nutrients so that the rest of our body has the fuel it needs. If our hands aren't working right or our feet aren't moving right, you know what it's like to wake up in the morning and be all stiff, right? When it doesn't work right, it's just challenging. Our eyes, our heart, that circulation, our lungs. Everything needs to work together. And we know that in our physical bodies, but in much the same way, Paul says that we have been formed together as a spiritual body. Some of us are like hands and eyes and mouths and ears and hair. Some of us are the heartbeat. Some of us are lungs. And we may not always be seen in the way we work, but we get to work together, intertwined. We've been gifted with many different gifts and abilities that mutually benefit one another and strengthen the body as a whole. And the hostilities that might naturally exist because of backgrounds or political leanings are set aside. They're set aside because of the unity or in order to attain the unity and the health of the body. So as members of one body, we get to complement and strengthen one another with our gifts, and we need each other like the heart needs lungs and the GI system and the nervous system. We need one another. So Christ not only saved us, bringing us life, but he created in us a new humanity and one body. And thirdly, he created 
one nationality. And I actually didn't want to use this word. I was, I was struggling with what, to, what word to put here. But look at verses 18 and 19. It says, For through him, through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I realize that in our midst, most of us are citizens of the United States. Some of us have been naturalized. Some of us are born as citizens. Some are visitors and get to be here for as long as we want to. Others are visitors who are staying for just a few more hours. Some of us have the unique privilege of being duly aligned, citizens of two nations at the same time. You can feel at home in two parts of the world. You are? All right. That's a gift, Bobby. But in Christ, because we have become citizens of this heavenly kingdom, we have become citizens of God's nation, we also have this dual citizenship. We get to be at home here in this world, but also at home in, with our heavenly father in his heavenly kingdom. Think about this. And I was thinking about it when we were singing that song, the hymn of heaven, when it says, when we talked about that one day when we will join with all the saints. Think about this. As a citizen of heaven, you and I are fellow citizens with people like the Apostle Paul, with Peter, James, and John. We're fellow citizens with the great saints of the faith like Augustine, Luther, Calvin, and Wesley. And we share the same heritage as people like Bonhoeffer. C.S. Lewis and Billy Graham. What a joy it is to have the same access as these heroes of our faith. But beyond that, even today, we share a kingdom citizenship with people in Africa, Asia, South America, Europe, Australia, and the Middle East. In fact, just yesterday when I, was, when I got home, I got a message on Facebook from a guy that I met years ago in India. And he always greets me, he often greets me by saying Jemasi, which is their way of saying praise the Lord. That's the Christian greeting in India, in that part of India. And he's in, in his next message, he said, brother, pray for us. Pray for us. It's such a joy to be able to go to other parts of the world and, and have more in common with brothers and sisters who, who I can't speak their language, but because of Christ, we are one. We are united with him. We have one nationality. He may be Nepali or Indian, but he is a brother in Christ. I am more in common with him than I do the neighbor around the corner that doesn't know Christ at all. I may look like my neighbor. I may have a house just like them. But our faith, our nationality, our heritage, our citizenship is in two different places. So Paul states that we have this glorious nationality, this heavenly citizenship. So as heavenly citizens, we get to rejoice and identify more with that citizenship than we do with the citizenship noted on our passports. Do you consider yourself an American or an Iranian or Persian, a Kenyan, a Jordanian? Or do you consider yourself a Christian? Is that where your identity is? Because I believe for eternity, that is where our identity needs to be. So Paul not only discusses the citizenship 
of our union with Christ, but fourthly, that we are part of one household. We saw that in those same verses. Look at verse 19. It says, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Think about this, where citizens becomes this broad tent. There are people from all over the world who are part of that. We're also part of a household. But when you think about what makes up a household, it's a smaller and more intimate body. It's, a, it's, it's something that's, that is more closely known one to another. People, are, are, people know and are known more fully as members of a household. So just as a physical and familial household works together for the good of those family members, the common good, so too as brothers and sisters in Christ, we get to work together for each other's common good. And Paul continues. He has another picture where he says that we are one temple. Look at verses 20 and 21. It says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now think about this. What is, what is a temple? A temple is, is literally a place of worship. It's, it's holy. It's set apart. It's not just like a concert venue. It's not just a big gathering place. It's intended to be a place to worship God. It's, a, it's set apart for a specific purpose. And yet Paul has kind of mixed his metaphors a little bit because he says he refers to God's people as a temple, holy and set apart, that is being built up, that is, that is being constructed even as we live and grow. There is a progressive nature to our temple life together. And I think as we individually grow in holiness, as we individually grow in becoming the men and women that God has called us to be, as we then exhibit that in this body life together, we are, we are developed together, we're built up together into demonstrating what a holy temple, a living temple is like before the world. As I mentioned before in Ephesus, there was the temple of, of Artemis known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. This temple was 450 feet long, 225 feet wide. It had 120 columns all the way around this building. It was a glorious-looking picture, a glorious-looking monument, and, and really a massive monument to this false deity. And yet today, that structure is in ruins. It's been destroyed by wars and time. And yet think about this, the the temple that God is developing, the temple that God is building in his people is a living temple that will stand the test of time. We don't have to worry about the wars. We don't have to worry about time because we are continuing to grow. God is continuing to build and expand his temple. Peter uses similar language when he talks about the church in 1 Peter 2, 4 to 5, when he says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. So in application for this, as members of one temple, we get to pursue holiness and sanctification together we get to pursue that together we get to stir one another up to love and good works as we're challenged to do in hebrews 10 24 so we are united with christ as one humanity 
as one body, one nationality, one household, and one temple. Finally, Paul notes together that we get to be one dwelling place or one tabernacle for God. Look at verse 22. It says, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, each of us individually are are indwelled by the Spirit. We are gifted and charged with fulfilling that gifting as we are each uniquely endowed. While we are uniquely gifted, there is a togetherness about that expression and what we do individually affects us corporately. This affects how we interact and represent God as a church. It also affects how we represent Him in the places that He has called us, in our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools. Daniel Strange recently noted in, in, in an article that I read, he said, to meet the challenge, to meet the challenge of complexity, we need wis- the wisdom of the church. And it starts by recognizing that we need one another to serve the cultural context in which God has placed us. Because we are together, a dwelling place for God, we get to represent Him well. In the Old Testament, if you remember, during the Exodus, God didn't live, His worship didn't happen in a physical temple. It happened in a tabernacle that they would move from place to place. God's presence went with them. And for us, God, you know, it's not about where we worship. Sure, this building is called a sanctuary. This room is called a sanctuary set apart. But being people who are indwelled by the Spirit of God, we get to go with God wherever we go. We get to represent Him wherever we are. The fact that God's Spirit indwells us makes little difference if we can't express that community that church community, what we do together, that physical community, the community in which we live, we get to represent him well. So in application, as mutual dwelling places, we have equal access to Christ and get to reside with him. And as a result, we get to represent him to one another and to the world around us. Poolsville, Dickerson, Rockville, Frederick, Gaithersburg, Germantown, Boyd's, Beltsville. So in closing, let me, let me just have us think about a couple things. First of all, Christ, in his death, burial, and resurrection, he united us. He reconciled us with God. Jesus' sacrifice brings us to life and restores that which God intended in creation. And so the question I have for you is, have you responded to that? Have you responded? It's one, you could come to church and you could sit in church all your life and think, God, I hope I made you happy. But if you remember, it's not by, going, by church attendance that you get saved. It's not by showing up that you get saved. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. Which means that just as you would have to receive a gift, you must receive this gift of So have you received God's gift? Or are you, as those early verses in Ephesians 2 said, are you essentially a dead man or a dead woman walking? Are you still dead in your sin? Let me encourage you to come to him. Receive his salvation. 
But as we saw also, Jesus Christ united us with one another as a new humanity, one new body, one nationality, one household, one temple, and one tabernacle. So uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, how are we doing? How are we doing with that? Are we living up to all that Christ has called us to? Are we exhibiting that the way that he has called us to?